Welcome back, everybody, to the Everything Horror Podcast. My name is Paul Dolsky. With the lovely UK, Scottish, British, whatever accent everywhere, all the way from the other side of the world, Larry Brewster. You may know him from the Hex Media and Hex Studio Company. How's it going, Larry? Yes, hello, Paul. Hello, everybody. Uh, very nice to be speaking to you again, Paul, this time with clothes on. Yes, yes, yes. I hear that. And um, so what's new with you, Wari? I mean, you got like, you know, you had a couple titles under your belt and everything else. So how's everything going? Yeah, uh, thanks for asking, Paul. Things are going really well. We have our Kickstarter for Forbria Many, and um, it's amazing that the campaign for that anthology horror film is already at to about 94% in just six days, so or five days even. So we're all really proud um, of uh, all our supporters so far and of the great work that people have done to make the campaign a success. So hopefully in the 24 days we have left, we'll get that final 5%. Otherwise, that would suck <laughs> after such a good start. And um, apart from that... Uh, I've been busy posting out lots of goodies to people who backed our last campaign, which was for Automata, currently renamed The Devil's Machine. Yes, yes, The Devil's Machine, which was originally Automata, I guess, right? Mm-hmm, yep. So what happened with, that, uh, with the name change there? Well, Automata... Um, I mean, technically speaking, it is still also called Automata. And in some parts of the world, uh, when people watch that movie, they might see it you know, with that name. Uh, but for the United States and for the UK um, and for our, our Kickstarter backers, the new name is The Devil's Machine. And the rationale behind the name change was quite simple, really. We just thought The Devil's Machine sounds a lot more cool we liked it and we thought that if we do more horror films that explore subjects revolving around cursed objects or machines or you know things like uh uh well you know films like oculus with cursed mirrors or or creepy dolls or anything then the devil's machine gives us a bit more flexibility because it's like, yeah, it could be about cursed machines and objects. So, in other words, uh, the Devil's Machine can be like, um, I guess you could say like a franchise, you know, the Devil's Machine colon this or that, you know? And Automata, well, unless all our future horror films were going to be about 300-year-old life-size clockwork dolls, then it was just so much more limiting. Right. Hmm. Well... That goal was, uh, if uh, memory served me too, and looking at the page, it was like 80,000 pounds, which in American money, it's like a little bit over 100,000, which, didn't you guys actually break some sort of record for Kickstarter there for that campaign? Yeah, um, that was the highest raise for a horror film um in europe or the uk um i think it's like third or f in like the world you know for a horror movie i mean this would be some amazing um really successful horror kickstarters and, and we're either third or fourth in the world but we're first in the uk and europe 
The most uh, successful one on Kickstarter is by uh, Amalgamated Dynamics, uh, the spe special effects company in LA that did a, the campaign for Harbinger Down. And, um, and they're absolutely great guys that have been friends to us and have supported all our campaigns as well just by, you know, messaging their backers and things. So there's a lot of, um, it's, it's great to be really successful and to try and break records, but what's also really awesome is just how much the campaigns try to help one another, even ones that are already complete. That's true. And you guys actually did make, like, a second campaign for uh, the Devil Machine or Automata, and that was for if I uh, if I remember right, that was to get the ghost soldiers. Uh, yeah, and um, and yeah, basically, uh, we just we'd got so close to some stretch goals, and also you know when you finish a campaign, not all the money is received. You know, some of the payments don't work. People's credit cards are out of date, or or sometimes even people pledging but not really having any money. So you sometimes get a lot of cancelled pledges as well. Like normally, people lose between 5 and 10% of the total they've made. So we were just short of some stretch goals with the normal campaign, but with the 5-10% reduction from payments that we couldn't receive, it meant that we were just that bit further back from where we wanted to be. So we thought, you know what, let's try an experiment because some people had got in touch saying, oh, can I still get this reward or that reward? And we just thought, heck, let's put out a second campaign. Um, we'll have it just ticking in the background and I'll make a little video to let people know that this is a follow-up to the first campaign. And it was uh, a nice success. It, it wasn't aiming for the stars, but what it did achieve um, was it helped us get to those stretch goals and add all these really cool, exciting stretch goal scenes, which, you know, featured ghost soldiers, dogmen, and all kinds of really weird uh, entities that really improved the film overall. Yeah, I, it was really cool to see these entities come out to life while the awesome, like, makeup for the ghost uh, soldiers as well. I thought those guys were, like, pretty pretty well done too the dogmen on the other hand i was trying to figure out why it didn't seem like they didn't really have fur because you know <laughs> normally when you hear about a dogman you usually hear like you know the covered in ferns etc but you guys didn't uh show any like fur on the dogmen so would there like any uh specific reason behind that or would it just like um it just it's like its own version of a dogman well, basically, they're kind of like, um, and I, this isn't really a spoiler, but um, basically, they're like sex slaves <laughs> of the the general character. You know the 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 big bad guy. Um, so it's all kind of metaphorical. So when he when he says when he talks about his hunting hounds, they're almost like these. Um, kind of like uh, masochistic sex slave type creatures or spirits that he just has power over. So, in other words, they were metaphorical dogmen as opposed to actual anthropologically dog-headed creatures. Um, so that's why they were like guys. Basically, they were like <laughs> they were basically like naked guys with 
dog sex masks chasing you in the night, which has always been a fantasy of yours as well, Paul, from what I understand. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is definitely one of my fantasies, for sure. <laughs> um, so, so Automata, how did the story come to be? Because this was written by Sarah, correct? Yeah, and I mean, the thing is, the, the Devil's Machine slash Automata is available on our Kickstarter right now on 4 We Are Many, so people can still pledge for that film. And wow, when we were coming up with the idea, you know, sometimes, you know, the ideas, they just come at you little ones from different directions, and then you have that eureka moment when you combine the different inspirations you have. And uh, one of the first things that inspired us might sound quite superficial on first glance, but we were watching a, a horror film called Gothic, directed by Ken Russell. It's a 1980s horror film. I don't know if you guys have seen it or heard of it. I don't believe I have, anyway. Doesn't ring a bell. I mean, the only thing that comes close to it is like Gothica, but that's about well, it. In, in, in Gothic, um, it's set in the uh, late 1700s, um, where Lord Byron and Mary Shelley and, and a number of other famous writers of the period, famously, and in history, from what I understand, spent the night coming up with horror stories, which, for these individuals, would later lead to them developing novels, such as uh, Frankenstein and so So, anyway, as a horror film, this is... Uh, it, it was about these artists um, coming up with the stories over the course of the night, but of course crazy things happen because it's it is a, a very wild horror film. Anything by Ken Russell is pretty wild. So if you guys or your listeners haven't heard it, or should I say seen it, then I suggest checking out Gothic. So when we were watching it, uh, there's um, various villains and nightmares that appear in the house over the course of the night attacking these characters. And one of them was an automaton, um, basically a life-size clockwork doll, which is something that was very popular in that period. And it doesn't have a huge scene. It's only a very short scene where it's kind of dancing and being kind of slightly absurd, to be honest, in the film. But we watched it and we thought, like, something like, holy shit, you know, what's that? Is that like a doll, a clockwork doll? And, you know, we started to research it, and then we were amazed that for all the horror films that there have been about dolls, that there hasn't been any about the clockwork automatons, which were a very, very particular type of doll that was popular during the 1700s. And so we thought, geez, we need to make a horror movie about that. Um, so there was that. Um, other inspirations come from stories like Lolita as well. Um, that explore the idea of um, how perverse relationships can form or how insidious and subtle uh, abuse can be as well, or the temptations to, to become an abuser without realizing it. It's really dark stuff. So there was all the psychological stuff that was interesting us. And we always loved um, also the... Hammer era of horror filmmaking as well, okay, British Gothic horror, and as, as well as Italian Gothic. So combining that with uh, the serious subject matter of abuse 
and with a novel and interesting character type that we hadn't seen portrayed as, as the main villain in the film before, the automaton, we thought, that sounds great. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I like the idea, and, you know, I like that you guys do research on it before you actually, you know, turn it into a film as well, which I think makes it much more creepier, too, because you can take, like, what you've learned and put it into the creep factor, if not, like you know, try to figure out a way to make it more creepier than maybe what what is already, I don't know, um, re- in the research, I guess. Like, I don't really know how much you really found in the research unless, like, what, uh, oh, God, what's his name? Um, was it Dr., I'm trying to remember, Dr., Dr. Brendan Cole? Mm-hmm. Um, the stuff that he, that he was reading with his, daughter rose was that some of the like actual research stuff that you found based on it well i i mean the 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 curse of the immortal princess or the infernal princess um is itself a creation so that's something that 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 i designed and wrote and when we do that for our films we often write an enormous amount of material um, about the history of, of these curses and supernatural events that have transcended over the centuries to affect people in the present. So um, there was a lot of material that we were able to draw on for characters like Brendan, you know, for doing his investigation. And um, funnily enough, <laughs> sounds like another plug. Oh, it segues into a plug. Uh, We have um, one of our most popular rewards on the Kickstarter at the moment is actually a book of horror stories, and it includes a novella that tracks the history of the immortal princess, so it's a big story. And we have another book as well, which is um, a collection of diary entries, letters of correspondence, and all this kind of like authentic style material um, that is supposed to be written by the characters that you see featured in the film in the 1700s, as well as others. Um, so this whole mythos type stuff is something that we're really into. And uh, The Devil's Machine, compared to our other films, is probably the most immersed in that. Fair enough. Now, how did you guys go about with the casting of finding like um, some of the... I'm going to say freshly, uh, the fresh faces that we haven't seen in any of your really previous films. I noticed there was a few that came back from, like, uh, The Black Gloves, and then you got uh, Jamie Scott Gordon, who I think been in all, all your films. So, um, so yeah, so how did the other cast members uh, get casted? Like, who found them to be casted and to find the right, uh, character to match the person. Well, as as you say, and you're quite right, we do have uh, almost repertory theatre company style approach to casting, where we do use our, our favourite actors time and time again. It's quite a good way to try and grow as well, and to challenge one another to grow as well, which working together gives you that, that perspective um, with, of course, uh, new blood, which you always do need with every project you do, it is an interesting challenge, you know, who to cast. So 
We have, and what, for example, in the role of the general, the actor Jonathan Hansler, and um, I think he did, uh, and I hope you'd agree, he did an amazing job playing the villainous um, bad guy, quite a perverse um, character. And I'd seen him before in a horror film directed by Sean Hogan called The Devil's Business. And also a slasher film called Axed, where he plays a middle-class father that decides to try and hunt down his own family because he's been fired. So he was just an amazing actor. He's, he's kind of, in my mind, the closest to a British Sam Neill, whom I can actually afford. So, so he was a welcome discovery. And Sarish was more responsible for the casting of Victoria May, who plays Rose, and uh, she did a brilliant job uh, there as well. Um, most of the time, actors we cast will be people we'll know, maybe not intimately, but we'll have some connection with them, and so we'll get an idea of, for example, whether the project would be appropriate for them. Um, but Victoria, when she was cast as Rose, that was that was a fresh audition that was put out to. Uh, hundreds of girls, and um, and she just did the best job. And um, and recently she won an award for her acting in uh, The Devil's Machine at the Unrestricted View Film Festival in London. So, so yeah, she's got she she will go places. <laughs> yeah, I would say I would say like that's a good thing though. I mean, at least her work is being noticed, and like she deserves it with her acting. I mean, she does a very like you know her acting is so believable and like it doesn't feel like it's like sloppy if that makes any sense really Mm -hmm. um so so the other thing is i'm just wondering is was there any type of difficulty when when trying to film a specific scene at all with the devil's machine well Every scene is difficult and painful in its own special way, Paul. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's um, yeah, you know, the, the toughest scene in, in the movie was, so you remember the dining room scene where there is, it's in the third act when they're, they're sitting down at dinner and he's in the tuxedo and. Yeah. And they're, yeah. you know, with the cake and stuff like that getting smooshed and. Uh, that scene took oh must have been like eleven hours straight during the night. It it was it was a nightmare. In fact, a uh, little known fact outside of film is that the most horrible scenes to film are always scenes that involve food and candles at dinner tables. They always take really long and they're a massive pain in the bum. But you know it looks good at the end of the day. Yeah, that. That's always true because, you know, once the food is eaten, you got to get more food and yada yada. Or or at least try to tell them, like, take a little bite of it or something. Don't finish it. Or, or I don't know. I mean, I don't know, even know how you would even do that. But I just know, yes, I agree. I mean, you almost got to, like, have, like, a buffet at that point in time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, actors don't really eat food anyway. That's not so bad. But it's candles, Paul. Candles. Over the oh, course of the lighting. 
Yeah, the, the, you know, candles die quite quickly. They, you know, they go down, so you end up having to keep replacing them over and over and over because they're just shrinking because they burn so fast and because you're filming for half a day, you know? <laughs> yeah. But the that... stuff, um, soldiers and things like that, the things you might think would be the harder scenes, uh, they were actually pretty easy to film. And, and, you know, it was all fun, but they were especially fun. Oh, I bet. I, with the, the reenactment stuff, that would probably, like one of my favorites of the film is just watching that battle go down the way it did and the like long view shots and the uh like in your face shots like yeah i mean it was it was great it was nice uh variety of different angles to appreciate the in this case uh reenactment of what was i would say just just for the listeners i guess um yeah now what i find cool too is like uh your brother as i remember right michael he actually made like like a little model of the house just for the scene of the house burning which that looked incredible by the way so how long did it actually take him to build that and um did i'm trying to remember did you have to did you have to use real fire or did you just kind of add it into the background well, Paul, I mean, Michael worked very passionately on that model uh, for 12 years. And so burning it down in 21 seconds, I felt bad for him. But, you know, <laughs> right? No, he, he, didn't, he didn't spend 12 years, don't worry. Uh, I, he spent, you know, it's funny. Often when I give Michael these kinds of horrible, long and torturous jobs, I never really see him doing them. He suffers in silence. He goes into another room, the door closes, and then eventually he emerges from the darkness, sometimes days, sometimes weeks from then, with the finished article. And it was a bit like that with the house. Now, I'm glad you like the effect. Um, I would say that we have a lot to learn with the use of miniatures, which is something that we're really fascinated by and we want to do more of. Um, and that was kind of, so we did burn down the model, um, but what I wish um, I would, would have done and what I would do in future is just working with different cameras and much more different kinds of frame rates as well and just learning all these things um, so that they can look even better. But I can certainly say that, like any guy, you know, we all love models, you know, little model houses, model tanks, model planes, and the idea of being able to use those, um, sometimes in conjunction with, with digital effects, but, but most often just with practical effects, you know, it could be a really fun prospect. Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, it's all part of the learning experience, just like me, I'm learning with what I'm even doing, so it's, it's, it's great, I mean... I, it just, it just, uh, you know, it always, uh, I guess, fascinates me when people got to use like a model and the way they shoot it, or have that specific angle, like you were just talking about, would use in different type of cameras, angles, when, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the imagination can run wild when it comes to models because you can do so much with the models and make it more, uh, I guess, realistic too. In this case, it, I, I mean. I, I like the scene uh, that played with uh, some of the stories, which is all I'm going to say. I don't want to really go into more detail, but yeah, it was great to see it. And Michael did a great job on the model for what shots we could see of it. 
but I just felt like too like you know um, maybe maybe in what you were saying like it's just you know one of those learning things where it's just like oh okay like this is cool with the model like I can tell it's a model like now that I know it's a model it's just like yeah I can see the model so I mean but like you said it's a learning experience for down the road so I can't wait to see what else you can do with like models and stuff to make it maybe even more realistic with the different cameras and everything else yeah Um, yeah yeah yeah, I mean, it's 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 kind of it's funny because even when they have great models, you kind of know it's a model. But if it looks cool, then you're like, yeah, I can go with that. Yeah, um, exactly. But you know, it's funny with CGI because you know we watch Hollywood blockbusters where skyscrapers are collapsing. You know, when superheroes are thrown through them, we know that they're fake. So it's almost like audiences have become so used to the fake aspect of digital special effects but they're also fairly familiar with excellent practical effects that reality is not as essential still should be aimed for as much as possible or at least if that's the context that the artist is going for but but yeah i mean i probably wouldn't try to get myself too paranoid about making it super super realistic Otherwise, I'll never get my movies done because they're still effectively low budget. But what I, what I really want to do, though, is just have more fun with more little objects. And, you know, one of the best practical effects I've seen in a lower budget horror film, uh, which I, for years I never realized were little models at all. Do you remember the um, Peter Jackson film Braindead? Is it called Braindead in America? Maybe called... Yeah, Braindead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds right. Right, so at the start... Um, with the title sequence, you know, where directed by and all this kind of stuff, and you got the right. kind of cute music, and they're on like a tram, like a tram line. Right. And like the little view outside the tram, and you see like this 1950s town with little cars and streets and stuff like that. Um, and they're all just models. It was like he filmed it inside a little toy tram that was moving around, these little models of houses with little toy cars in them. And I was like, what? He did what? <laughs> you had to kind of watch it back to actually believe it for, you know. So that's a great example. Yeah, yeah, that was, I didn't even know that either. So thanks for filling me in on that one. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> anyway, Laurie, as you were mentioning too, you got another Kickstarter going on called For We Are Many, which is a feature film anthology um correct like it's almost like different stories in one like almost like short stories in um in a film or something uh, that is exactly right um yeah and um yeah and the, the campaign's only a few days old so folks can go to kickstarter check out for we are many and uh they can pre-order the two disc special edition Um, And it's a cool movie. Uh, It's an experiment for us as well, because, um, as you know, the films that Hex has put out have all been, very much, for the most part, you know, they've all been directed by me. At least on Kickstarter, they've all been directed by me. So this is the first time that I've put a film out for which I'm the producer on. So this is one that I was a producer on, and... I was really interested to try and get filmmakers from around the world uh, who had great potential. Um, and some of them are actually already you know, 
great filmmakers, you know, that have done feature films and stuff. But it was a great excuse anyway to, to get a bunch of horror filmmakers together and to see what we could come up with and then put them together into a feature film. And uh, it's it's a great movie. Um, it's scheduled to premiere at Fright Fest in London. And it's got some cool actors in it as well, like Alien Dietz from The Exorcist and Lawrence Harvey from Human Centipede and uh, Nicholas Vince as well from Hellraiser and Nightbreed. Yes, that that is a great achievement accomplishment right there just because of the well-known actors. Now, would it difficult to get them on board or were they already like in a project that was selected for the feature film well i mean these uh these actors were secured by individual filmmakers so these so for example as a producer i was working with the filmmakers helping them to develop the ideas for their projects and, and guide things but you know the credit for securing people like that rests with the individual filmmakers. So, for example, a friend of mine, Mark Logan in London, in his project Father, uh, he reached out to Lawrence Harvey. Um, same with um, Mathan Harris as well, who got Alien Deeds. And it was myself that got uh, Nicholas Vince, although he was also in a film by Paddy Murphy as well. So it, it was really a testimony to the excellence of the creative team of filmmakers that we have with the project, that they were able to persuade these wonderful genre actors to get involved with their individual shorts. And of course, whenever they did, I was like, great, that's brilliant news, <laughs> because it does make it easier um, to get people excited about the film, um, the overall film, that we're, we're trying to make a success. And hopefully we can, because if it is a success, then we can produce more anthology films, including a sequel to Foria Many and additional all-new anthology films as well. Because it's a lot of fun, I'm very passionate about anthology feature films, and it's the kind of project that um, I can also do on the side whilst developing my own film that I'm directing, that I can try and create opportunities for other artists as well. Yeah, I like the idea that you're actually reaching out to try to find more indie filmmakers to help get their work out there. Like, uh, one example I can give, because I've seen it on Kickstarter too, and they just actually announced it that they were part of you guys, uh, filmed anyway, for We Are Many, is the creature feature short film called Creek. I thought that was really cool that you guys chose that one. And, you know, the creature effect on that is just phenomenal looking and i just can't wait to actually see the uh the short film of that for um for when i watch for we are many and uh you you remember which one i'm talking about though right rory the creek one yes um absolutely and well the, the way it worked was so for example before that that short went on kickstarter it had already been developed um with us and we would encourage the filmmakers to try and, and do anything they can to try and make their own short films. So some of them chose to go on Kickstarter. And so Creek, um, which is uh, an excellent short film segment in For We Are Many, is uh, directed by a good friend of mine, Keith Robson. And it is 
And the thing is, all the films are different. And I suppose I should say this as well, actually. Um, Former many explores the subject of demons and ancient creatures. There might be demons from different religions from around the world, or mythologies, or there might even be a cosmological horror, kind of Lovecraftian element. And we have about 14 segments. Um, I think it says 13, but we've got a secret 14. That's an exclusive for you. Um, but uh, they all explore these creatures and, and demons in different ways. So, for example, for Keith, he's a, um, he, is, he loves his practical effects. So he actually built his own costume um, for this, this hideous creature, the swamp monster. And uh, other filmmakers would maybe have more psychological kind of like creepy kind of characters. And it's that mix between like violent practical effects and psychological creepiness that makes it such an entertaining watch because every film is, is so different and, and fast paced that you really get a very exciting experience with lots of different things coming at you watching it. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I will say, like, while we were just saying, since your campaign is a couple days old, it's not even, like, you know, almost nearly completely done. But for those listening right now, as of the recording, there's about 25 days left. They are at 29,589 of their 31,255 goals. So they're, like, literally close to getting this thing funded. And the I think it was like what the first twenty four hours you guys were like like almost funded anyway or something or very close or maybe it was maybe the first forty eight hours but it was crazy watching that because I thought you guys were already being stretch gold by now to be honest. <laughs> well, the thing is, I mean, Kickstarters all follow the same kind of trajectory for film anyway, most often, and as you know, this you start really strong. Because successful Kickstarters really do require um, their their creators to do a lot of planning in advance so that you try to encourage as many people as possible to pledge on the first day and you know and subsequently on the second and third days. Um, and in general, you know Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays are the most successful days, and the drop off is very steep, you know. Um, and then you're always fighting with your campaign to try and get the word out about your project on those three days again, you know, when people are more likely to pledge and support a project. So, yeah, um, so yeah um, I, I'll be just really proud and excited if we can reach our goal. And certainly if we exceed our goal, then there is the potential for stretch uh, goals and, and further, you know, you know, enhancements to the film product as well. And it is a beautiful film product that we're, we're selling. I mean, we have T-shirts, posters, we have copies of our other movies, and we even have Owlman plush uh, dolls as well, which are totally epic. And our first book as well, an actual book of horror stories with creatures and monsters and beautiful artwork, which has been really popular in our campaign. But For We Are Many itself, is a stunning-looking six-panel digipack with a Blu-ray and a Julia DVD with hours of extras, and it's limited edition as well. So it's a great chance to own something that is really beautiful and rare as well. 
and I think this might be the first project without a soundtrack. <gasps> but that's understandable anyway because it's multiple stories. So, yeah, I mean, it's not just one film. It's like multiple uh you just said 14 chilling tales, I believe. So, yeah. Um, but I just couldn't believe it when I saw it. There was no soundtrack. I was like, oh, my God, what is this? <laughs> but that's all right. You're passionate about the soundtracks. <laughs> oh, I love, I love those soundtracks, man. <laughs> I love them. <laughs> that, that's but, because the, the soundtracks we include in the films I direct are carefully carefully put together by Sarah. You might hate whatever music the other filmmakers came up with for an anthology. <laughs> yeah, but, um, exactly. Fun, funnily enough, though, we do have some of the music which is available on as extras on the Blu-ray and the, the DVD. It's just there wasn't enough music overall to create an actual soundtrack. Gotcha. Um, but also, as well, like our normal products are three-disc sets. Um, you know, all our movies. This is our first two-disc set, and it's a six-panel instead of an eight-panel. So this is kind of like our idea for the new product type for not um, the films that, that are normal films, but for new films like anthologies or or any other films that we're producing that other people are directing and things like that. And I should add as well, though, that um, this 4BMNE, uh, does have a spine number for number one. So we are hoping that the success of the project will lead to additional installments for Forbear Many, which can explore different horror subjects for each anthology, which can all be lined up on a bookshelf with those nice, tasty Roman numerals, which I think is pretty much the only reason I make film, really, so I can have a nice collection of all our projects with Roman numerals. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I like the idea. I mean, I don't really see that many people using Roman numeral just for a uh, just for all their movies. So I thought that was very unique. You don't really see that many people doing like a six to eight panel layout anyway. And on top of that, you don't really get to see like a two to three disc set really anymore. Well, hardly. It depends on the film and depends on everything else. I, I understand that. But, yeah, I mean, you don't really see it, though, that much. So I, I give you guys props for that. Thanks, man. I mean, as you know, I'm a massive, massive supporter of physical media. And I'm very cynical for digital platforms or VOD platforms um, as being, shall we say, uh, um, the best way to experience an independent filmmaker's work. So with our projects, with all our projects, they've always included extensive extras and really beautifully designed packages. Because, And the reason for this is because the experience of making an independent film is such a challenging one, such an intimate one, uh, that you share with your friends and and everyone that helps make it happen from Kickstarter to, to whoever you can drag out to film at three in the morning, that there needs to be something special to celebrate the achievement of making that film. And having a physical object that you can cherish, that is fancy, it's not just like a, a $1 plastic case, but something beautiful that is something you're proud to have you know, in your collection, that is timeless. And... And I don't really see that going away. Speaking of going away, um, 
That's like, uh, I've noticed on Amazon, all your movies aren't really available anymore to watch. So, and I know last time I believe we were talking, maybe it was last interview, or maybe it was off the air or whatever, but, um, you were mentioning something that they'll be back, or you guys are trying to cook, have like cook something up for like the VOD thing because of the reason behind taking your movie down off of like Amazon. Yeah, I mean Amazon, um, Amazon um, as a digital as a digital platform um, is, I mean, for what it is, it's pretty great, really. You know, most filmmakers can get their content on there. And as a distributor, we've had um, oh, lots of films um, selling there, including our, our own. Um, the reason that those titles are not available right now um, isn't because of anything on Amazon's part. You know, Amazon's been great to us, really. Um, but... Recent changes in the way that Amazon places titles on the, the dashboard, you know, of your screen when you go into your Fire Stick, and also changes in the royalty payments as well, uh, which basically is a reduction, um, made made it less profitable um, for us to the point where, in some ways, uh, Amazon Prime and VOD was <laughs> compromising the sales potential of our physical products and also we weren't always a great fan of people experiencing our films in just a VOD format because um, just because of as I said before the the films are something special and we like people to be able to watch the film and the extras and to really get an idea of the artists and the team behind them um, because that's why people come back to support our projects on Kickstarter as well, because it's got that family aspect that you know of a community that you try to build, which you can't get if you just watch the film on VOD. So, um, so basically, there, that those are the reasons it's not available at the moment. However, um, we are going to make our titles available on a whole pile of VOD platforms. Uh, with another company, and uh, we can't say who yet or or when, um, because that's all under wraps. But uh, soon our our films will be widely available on digital platforms. Um, but for the meantime, um, it's uh, it's just desirable for us to have it, them available on our Kickstarter, which they are available right now. You can buy any of them on Four Many's Kickstarter, and when the campaign's over, on our online shop at hexmedia. TV. Very cool, Wari. And when this does get funded for for We Are Many, um, when do you guys have like an estimated idea of when people will be able to have their hands on the anthology themselves? I know it looks like it says an estimated date of December of this year, but do you guys have any idea at all? I mean, basically, that that's our idea. Yeah, I mean, sometimes there can be delays, um, which um, would be stranger for a Kickstarter not to experience than to experience. Um, but I shouldn't think so. Um, and 
I think as I think as well, if there is any delays, I mean, shouldn't be, but if there is, the most important thing is that they only exist for the right reasons, which is because the creators are trying to make the project as incredible as possible. Um, I'm something of a perfectionist, and you, one could accuse me of this, um, but it's because um, I always want the product and the rewards to be absolutely as perfect as possible anyway. So uh, we should meet that date, but if for any reason there was any issue, it would only ever be because we were improving something that needed to be improved or fixed. For example, I remember once um, we had like a delay of, of a few weeks because our printers managed to make a mistake in the colour printing of our packages so that they had a kind of magenta-like cast on the artwork. And it, was, it wasn't totally obvious, but it was subtle enough that it spoiled it a bit for me. And I was like, no, I'm not going to give my backers this. I'm going to demand they fix this. And so, so it meant that a thousand units had to get shipped across seven states and then reprinted and then repacked and then sent back. Um, but it meant that people got, you know, what I promised them. And that's the most important thing. Yes, yes. I mean, every backer deserved the trust and a great product from what they back anyway, especially if they put in, like, lots of money, too, for something to help even get it funded to begin with. So so I like how you guys are handle your customers to help give us the best quality possible. So I do appreciate that, Walry. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, it's so important. I mean, this is our... Um our fifth or our sixth campaign and um and i've heard time and time again from backers for our campaigns that that they've they've been burned or things haven't worked out for them but that they've always stuck out with us because we've always delivered and i honestly cannot imagine the circumstances apart, apart from say a tragedy like a, a creator is you know hit by a bus or something that they that people cannot deliver on these things it's just it's impossible. It's <laughs> I would rather walk into the sea than betray the trust of um, hundreds or even thousands of people that allow our company to remain sustainable, principally through a crowdfunding platform producing independent genre art. And you know that's a, a special thing, a beautiful thing that can never be compromised and should never be compromised by any other Kickstarter campaign creator. With their own audience that that's very true and on that note Wari, um to wrap things up too is so what do you what um let me rephrase that where can people keep up to date with everything uh hex media hex studio and just did we cover not cover anything that you feel we should know, or do you think that we've hit everything okay? No, man, I think you guys have done a great job. We've talked about lots of things, and uh, and I appreciate you having me on as well. Um, I would say that if there's anyone out there who is a passionate horror fan and they're interested in what a very unusual bunch of uh, horror filmmakers are up to and would like to get involved or would just like to learn more about what we're making or selling or or whatever it is, then the best way for them to get in touch um, is actually to just reach out to me on Facebook. So if they go to Facebook, 
slash laurie.brewster. Um, they can add me, maybe send me a message to say, hey, I'm a horror fan, I'm you know, a big you know, fan of everything horror podcast, then I'll add them. Because uh, Facebook is, for me, um, a, a great way of keeping in touch with uh, horror fans and filmmakers and and uh, that's better than any website or anything like that awesome well fair enough Wari and I hope you guys um, start making some really interesting anthology maybe like original I should say like if of your own because it would be kind of cool but this idea of for we are many is cool too because we like I said I think earlier is we get to see other people's works come to light Rather than just, uh, you know, have them not have that distribution or, you know, that uh, that uh, push, I guess, they need to actually have their film seen by many others. So I do appreciate that. Thank you. All right. Well, remember, guys, go to kickstarter.com and look up for We Are Many. You got 25 days and they're very close to being funded. And thank you guys so much for joining. Until next time, as we always say, to stay scary. <laughs>